my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm giving you a quick heads up before you start listening. This week's episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my chronic illness journey. I promise you, I'm going to sound like I am emotional, but I promise you, I am so happy. But talking about the different ups and downs of the journey got a little hard at different points. So I just finished recording it. I sent it to our podcast manager who is doing all the good things with it. And I was like, these girls are going to think that I'm still going through it. I am feeling so much better, which you're going to hear about in the podcast. I'm feeling so much better emotionally. And so I just wanted to let y'all know that. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump on in and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I am, as always, so happy to be in front of you again today. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about coping with chronic illness. So chronic illness in the realm of mental illness, whether or not it is longstanding depression and anxiety. But primarily today, the example that I'm going to use is physical ailments. So whether or not it is diabetes lupus, MS, skin diseases, of course, cancers. And for me, I'm going to be talking about dealing with the impact of longstanding hypertension. As many of y'all know, that is my story. It has been something that I've been actively working through the last several years and how it's impacted my life. It is the reason why my mother passed early and there has been so many ups and downs. But today, what I want to talk about based on the juncture I currently am in healing these parts of myself or living with these parts of myself, which I'll clarify during this episode, is I want to talk to those of us who have been sick for a long period of time And some of you are more sick than I have been, and there is possibly a cure, but you are struggling through it. Some of you are more sick than I have been, and there is no cure, and you're dealing with the impact of that. Some of y'all are trying to manage a sickness, and you don't know where it's going, and it's been so frustrating for you to get a handle on it. I want to speak to a lot of the mental loneliness and sadness that comes with that, the difficulty in finding a support group to support you with it, and also emotional care. It is so important. I'm going to elaborate on these points. I'm basically giving you the main points I'm going to talk about in the next 30 to 40 minutes. But it is so important for us to practice self-forgiveness. It is so important for us to recognize when we have done enough. It is so important for us to Allow ourselves to feel what we need to feel and to be exactly where we are as hard as that it is, as hard as it is mentally, physically, emotionally, and knowing 
holding space for things to get better. As always, this list is not exhaustive. There may be some things that because of the way that my illness has manifested, that my perspective is different than some of yours, or there may be other factors that I do not hit on because it was not part of my experience. As always, though, I pray that you take what you need and you leave the rest. I love how our current society is talking so much about emotional health and emotional wellness and emotional security and healing ourselves, but we don't talk enough about physical health unless it's in the realm of you need to do it and get it together. And if you're sick, then it's your fault. And I I want to provide a different voice to that today. So that's it for our intro. Let's go ahead and jump on in. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. So you've heard me share about my journey with vitamin D and how a deficiency was causing havoc in my life, causing depression that was not helped by therapy, emotional support skills, and other resources that I had access to because the source was organic and coming from inside my body. And it was only by healing my body with vitamin D supplements that I actually saw change. And I'm not alone with me being part of the 82% of black women in America who struggle with the vitamin D deficiency due to our melanin not being able to synthesize as much vitamin D from the sun. But Black Girl Vitamins is a proud black owned brand that develops vitamins to address the specific needs of black women like iron and vitamin D deficiency. Each purchase contributes to a scholarship fund that supports black women pursuing healthcare education. Plus they're vegan friendly and free Free from harmful additives. Try Black Girl Vitamins to see improved health in areas such as energy, fertility, and pregnancy support, balancing your blood sugar, and more. Get 10% off your first order with the code HEAL10 at blackgirlvitamins.co. That's B-L-A-C-K-G-I-R-L-V-I-T-A-M-I-N-S dot co and use promo code HEAL10 to get $10 off. Take control of your health and level up your summer with Black Girl Vitamins. It's time to make this summer your healthiest one yet. So for us to do this episode, I need to talk a little bit or a lot a bit about what my journey has looked like the last four plus years and where it is now. For some of you, this is going to be new information. For some of you, you haven't known what's been going on. Or some of you, most of you have heard me talk about my capacity, quote unquote, and it changing and adjusting and me not explaining why. And there's a few reasons for that. And I'm going to talk about them here today. So to try to give the condensed version uh, up until where we are today uh, is I was diagnosed with gestational hypertension with my son four years ago now, four plus years ago. And it was difficult to manage at that time. I was threatened with bed rest. Finally, they put me on some type of medication where I was managed. My blood pressure was still high, but it was manageable. And before I keep going, I need to stay here because I think this is something that's important for us all to know. Hypertension is something called the silent killer, but even because you don't see, you can keep living with hypertension without 
it directly affecting your life until it's too late. And I've heard that before. I've heard that especially over the last several years, but I heard it before I was even diagnosed. But I, I know that part of my reaction when I had hypertension was I completely played it down because my thought was, I'm Black, of course I'm going to have high blood pressure. Everybody's got high blood pressure. It is a rite of passage for you to become an adult. African-American, you are going to have high blood pressure. You take your meds and you deal with it, right? You know, just kind of like waiting for my time. So up until that point, you know, it was still not a concern for me. So after my son was born, I was put on a variety of medicines for my blood pressure because the ones I was taking while I was pregnant stopped working. And I have taken so many medications, y'all so many medications that would make me so sick, so sick to where I could not function. And you're supposed to wait three days to a week for it to kick in and then for the symptoms to go down, that never happened. And so that launched a multi-year process of me being on and off medications, doing acupuncture, doing changing my diet, all the things that I know someone is screaming at the phone right now about doing that for years. And in me not being able to find the right thing to manage my medication, manage my hypertension, that would also not completely knock me out to where I could not function, I could not mother, I could not work. I would have a slew of doctors, a series of doctors that would get so disgusted with me is the right word. From their looks to their attitude, uh, when I would say that the medicine isn't working or that this medicine wasn't working and it made me sick, so I couldn't wait until our next appointment, which you had a long wait for in the first place, for me to keep taking it because I could not function. And so the attitude was very much, well, you want to be sick. You don't care. All of the bias and all the stereotypes that people have towards non-compliant patients, getting that. Every other couple of months, getting speeches telling me that I was going to die, which I'm there in your office because I don't want to die. So there's the there's the double mental impact, well, maybe it's even triple, I don't know, of legitimate fear, wondering, am I going to pass away? Every time I see a person in their 30s have a heart attack or something, wondering if that's going to be me. Knowing how my mom passed away when she was 52 from congestive heart failure. And then just being embarrassed and talked down to and shamed by an, another adult. And even when I stood up for myself or even when I stepped away, then there's still the anger of, I'm still not getting the help that I needed. So what if I put somebody in their place? I'm still sick when I leave here. And so then the fifth one is feeling hopeless. I'm going to pause here and talk about how hard that is. You know, I think about my clients who have struggled with chronic depression and how that story that I just said is so common for them. Going to doctor after doctor, you must like being depressed. You have to will yourself to do something different. Are you taking this like I told you to? I think about, I have one dear client who has been struggling with chronic fatigue and symptoms after having long COVID. And having everybody have so many great ideas and thoughts and they're going from being compassionate to doing the tough love thing and how demoralizing that is and how 
scary it is on top of all of that. So over the years, sometimes I could find that my best support would come from emergency rooms or the most immediate support, not the best support. There were times it, it definitely shifted from Hypertension was something that I could live with and not really notice to where I started to feel the effects in my body. I started to feel my body slow down. I started to feel the impact of what I ate or didn't eat more and affecting my sleep, all the things that come with that. The the headaches started consistently maybe a year and some change ago, but... Also, the thing is, I went to so many neurologists and cardiologists and the ER and all these people to try to figure out what was going on with my headaches. Come to find out, I needed a different pillow. <laughs> and so there was, there was this back and forth between what is going on and why am I not feeling well. So I've talked a lot on this podcast in between different episode topics and just little drops here and there talking about prioritizing about how I've completely cut out my life, cut out the stressors in my life and rearranged my work schedule and, you know, asking for help, asking for support, putting in physical care and all that stuff, paying so much money for meal prep services to make sure that Food was delivered to me to where I would not have to worry about cooking because I've said I have said 18 million times that your girl does not cook, um, and doing all the things and I was still, I was still sick, and even when I tried to implement food changes because I know that one time I was working with a cardiologist and taking some medication and going on a completely raw food diet. That helped as well, trying to re-implement that and being unsuccessful with that. So at this point, I'm a few, I'm several years in. I'm feeling my body weighed down more. I'm getting so frustrated because there's so many things I want to do, not only between mothering, but here in BGH. There are so many programs, y'all, that I've started, which many of y'all have listened to and been very excited about. And that I've either had to close or not launch at all because my body wouldn't let me. Literally trying to build in the support system and structure, making it as easy as possible, only to not even be able to get up at different times. So anyone who's enrolled in the recovery school before December 2022, when I was still doing live group calls, you know. Because it will, if you came live, if you if you participated, because I know some people chose not to do that and just watch replays or just did the curriculum on their own or, you know, decided to take their own timeline through the program, that's totally fine. But anyone who participated in the group calls, you know how lively those experiences were, how much I showed up. And I think, you know, because I think I used to say it a lot, how much I loved it, how it would light me up. And we would do our group calls at night. And the reason I had to end those was because I could not stay awake later at night. My body was so worn down continually by this chronic hypertension that by five or six o'clock at night, it was time for me to lay down. So fast forwarding to the end, where this all ended, how this all came to end or where we currently are right now. So 
a few, a month and some change ago, you know, I'm still going to ERs. They're still putting me, when I do go to the ERs, by the way, I didn't talk about this. When I do go to ERs, I tell them all the medicines that make me sick and all of that. And they give me the exact medicine each time that gave me the worst migraines and headaches. And they're like, well, you're going to have to take it. Literally one nurse told me, and probably a couple other nurses said behind behind my back, <laughs> but they were like, well, you're going to have to take this because it's either this or you die. And then they would get me down to like some quote unquote manageable number that was still really high and then discharge me and say, well, then you need to go and follow up. And of course, with the energy and the attitude of just assuming that I'm not going to, that I'm just here for shits and giggles, that I'm just one of the people who come through routinely just because, but doesn't actually want real change and real help. So a month and some change ago, I had plans on a Saturday and plans that I've been looking forward to all week was like family plans. And I have been feeling for a while, I that that whole week, y'all, and even before that, I can't even remember at this point because it all blurs together. I would wake up and be ready to go back to sleep. I, when I say I had no energy, I had no energy throughout the day. I had chronic continual headaches that the medication that I was taking for the headaches was no longer working to the point that I was taking many pills. And I was like, okay, I feel like I know what's going to happen, but I need to go to the ER. So I tell my partner, like, need to go to the ER. They know I've been sick. They know about my doctor history. Like most people who are new to this or new to me or have had a different experience with medicine, they always kind of give that attitude where they believe you, but they kind of feel like, oh, I don't really know about that which I'm sure if you're someone who's struggled with chronic illness in some form, you have talked to friends and family and you tried to tell them what was going on and they they have this, it's like this look in their eye or there's like this tone in their voice where they're like, you can tell they don't believe you fully and they're just trying to be patient with you and listen to you. But it's like, if you ain't gonna believe me, then just <laughs> then just say that because it feels really lonely to, to be that way. But anyways, I told... I told him what I thought was going to happen, but that I was going to go do it anyways. So instead of going to a hospital ER, I went to a freestanding ER in the neighborhood, which I had a good experience with my son and for myself for other reasons before. So I went there and my blood pressure, y'all, was 240 over 160, which is stroke level, like I should not be here level. And unfortunately, my blood pressure had been in the 200s before. And it was just as scary as I'm telling y'all. And so they did all the things, they did the CAT scans, they did all that stuff, they gave me medicine. But here's the thing, y'all, the staff there was an all black staff from the receptionist to the nurses to the main doctor, the MRI guy, I think he was East Asian or Pacific, Pacific Islander American, but I was listening to him talk <laughs> to everybody else. <laughs> and he was also down. Like he was, he was cool people. And this is important because 
Through all the doctors and all the ERs I've been to, for the first time, I got medicine that did not give me a headache, that brought me down to a healthy blood pressure and actually continued to bring me down to a healthy blood pressure within the next 24 hours after I was discharged. And that was the first time in three and a half years, y'all. Three and a half years, I had been going to doctor after doctor, ER after ER, specialist after specialist, person to person, telling my story, asking for help. I even think I got a doctor at one ER that I'm pretty sure was my mom's cardiologist. And I remember him, you know, younger. I remember him just being so matter of fact and just kind of flippant about what my mom was going through very much. Well, you refusing to take care of yourself, then, you know, you kind of get what you get. He was absolutely one of the doctors that I yelled at and went off on when he came and tried to talk to me like I was crazy. He got it together real quick. But my point being, I have been asking and needing help for a long time and even doing the things that were supposed to help. And they weren't helping. And that was a very hard place to be in. Going back and forth between trying to be hopeful and then feeling hopeless. Trying to take in the tough love and like the people who are trying to be encouraging for you while also really needing them sometimes to hear you when you said, this is hard and I feel sad and I feel scared without them trying to give you the the benefit of the doubt, without them trying to like change it, without them trying to give you a solution that you haven't already done 10 times and then not believing you when you say you've done it 10 times, not listening to you. That's really hard. So unfortunately, the story is not done. It's just one more part that ties this all together. So my blood pressure went down within 24 hours. For the first time, I did not have a headache. Yeah, I did not have a headache. And we had asked them before I discharged. We had asked them, so I know I'm at stroke level. This is a freestanding ER. How would we know if something got worse that I needed to go to an ER ER in the hospital? And they gave symptoms, you know, of course, the tingling in the arms and all that stuff, but also things like, you know, word salad and, you know, some seeing spots and all that stuff, right? So the next morning, Sunday, I'm at home and I am about to send a group chat to my girlfriends about what happened, a voice note, and I realized that I can't talk. I can't say words. I can't like the words are not coming to me. And no matter how much I try to pause and restart it, they're coming out all jumbled. And I can't say my partner's name. I can't say my son's name. And so we immediately rushed to the ER. I forget how to use my phone on the way there. So I know just to text, I know just enough to text somebody's phone number before I just sit in the car And I'm just in a car going to where we are, going to the hospital. The hospital, a hospital I've been to a million times, my neighborhood hospital. I didn't recognize the walls. I I couldn't tell people's faces. They were asking me questions. I couldn't answer them no matter how hard I was trying to. The guys were so mean, which, you know, come to find out later from family members that are 
ER nurses and some stuff later on about when you're doing, and this is probably not the right term, but when you're doing a stroke test for someone, you don't have a time to talk calmly because you need to know, like, it's a split second difference between whether or not someone's going to be there and not be there. So them asking me if I can move my legs and everything and not saying it in a nice way <laughs> was not was not going to work if they were trying to save my life. So they do all the things. They do, again, the CAT scans and all that stuff. I guess it turns out that I am clear and I'm not having a stroke. And remember, y'all, I'm at the main, the hospital ER. And I, at that point, once they realized I wasn't having a stroke, I was left in that room and not attended again. When I say I was left, I mean to the point that called the nurse's line five or six times and literally nobody answered. Nobody came. I kept reporting that I had a headache this time. The ER the day before was immediately able to give me stuff for my headache. This ER was not able to for some reason, in addition to not responding. And so we, we were there for hours. Literally enough time to where my partner could leave to go and get me some over-the-counter medicine, which who knows if that should have happened or not. Well, actually, I do know it shouldn't have happened, but they were not not responding. My partner himself went to the counter so many times to ask for help and support, and they did not respond. So after waiting there for many hours, I was like, I don't know why I'm here. If They're just going to ignore me. I want to go home. And especially if I'm supposedly okay. Um, by that time, I could recognize him and other people. I was able to talk again. I was able, I had come to, he had filled me in on things that had happened that I missed out on and told me what the little things that the nurse or doctor had said before. And, and so I said, okay, I want to discharge. And so then he went and told whatever the nurse's station that I wanted to discharge. And then the doctor magically came. And the doctor gave me the spiel about how it's not his medical recommendation that we that I leave and we ha- want to do an MRI just to make sure that there's nothing left. Well, when's the MRI going to happen? Some unknown time later that night, and I was like, y'all going to have me here until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, I will discharge and I will get my MRI done at a private location the next day. And they gave me the familiar look of... You dumb, fill in the blank. And then I was discharged. And it was really good for my partner to see, or at least I felt happy that he saw that because he talked so much afterwards about he had never seen people just be completely ignored like that in the hospital before or treated that way. And I was like, yeah. It was so validating because, you know, like I said, I would talk to so many people about what I was experiencing and part of that not believing you is like, well, they're kind of like, well, you you kind of have to advocate for yourself a little bit more or you have to like make people listen to you and you have to like take more control and they put the negligence of somebody else onto you. So again, once again, in another way, your sickness, what you're going through is because you're not trying hard enough You're not trying hard enough to get these other people to do their job, right? And so that felt very validating to have a witness to that. Anytime I get to have that experience of having a witness to that, I'm like, see, it's not me. I'm not, it's not me. 
I am really trying my best. So the good news is after discharging, I was connected to my good luck with doctors finally kicked in. So, and and doctors that have great reviews on ZocDoc, by the way, (laughs) they all confirmed how I found them. So found the best family practitioner who got me an MRI the next day, super kind, super loving, who referred me to a cardiologist in my neighborhood who also got me in the same week, which is unheard of, right? And was super kind, not as personable, not as joking as the one before, but still really nice and his staff was really amazing. Found out my MRIs were clear, but there are some, there is some protein in my urine and still having follow-up tests from that. So after all this, y'all. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here, a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it, clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in, and also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman and having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. When I did not think, I did not think that I was going to be talking to y'all. And I've been living with that fear for years. And so when it became real, even more real, that was just so hard. So to be sitting here now, again, for the first time in years, I'm a few weeks in now without having a headache 
And also pillows were a part of it because I can't use any any type of pillow without getting a headache. But I have my, my foam pillow that, that gets me right and I'm good. But to have this part of my life back has been very encouraging. And again, I'm not out the woods yet. My friends have told me to speak life to my kidneys and I would encourage y'all to do the same and to hold space for me as well. But yeah, I needed to tell y'all this story so that what I'm about to say for those who've been struggling with chronic illness, that again, I know so many of y'all are probably sicker than I've been and you may still be in it and you may have been dealing with this longer and I have so much compassion for you and so much empathy for you, but I, I wanted you to know it so that you know that it's coming from a place where I'm, I can understand as much as my experience allows me to do so. And I'm not just talking. I hope that you know that I'm talking with you and not to you. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. And then also for everyone who's been my students who have been, you know, saying prayers for me, but not right, not really knowing what you were praying for. And because um, I haven't told you the full thing. And then for people who just care in general, um, for y'all to know as well. And also more even more than anything, when it comes to hypertension and blood pressure, for y'all to hear how deadly this stuff is and that there is, you know, the second ER within 24 hours came out of nowhere. I was feeling great. And if you're someone who has been working on your hypertension, this is not for you because you have heard me talk about how hard this can be for some of us who are medically resistant for some reason to the majority of medicines, but for those who are not working on it at all, like at all, not that it's hard, but that at all, I really want to encourage you to get some help and some support. And that this does not have to be a generational thing that we take to the next generation to where children just assume they don't have a better eye when a a family member has a high blood pressure because to be black equals high blood pressure. That does not have to be our normal. And if it is something that is is present because of genetic predispositions, that my hope is that we can find some more prevention. You know, along the way, I would talk to my students, like I said, in the community about my experience and how part of my motivators was how my mother passed away at 52, very young. And 
there were so many women, so many women who said the exact same thing for their mothers, that their mothers also passed early from that and from the impact of stress and other things in their life. And I was like, I can't, I, I do not want to continue that. So with all that said, let's talk about the encouragement I want to give to those of you who are currently or maybe even in the past that you've struggled long-term with some type of illness, whether or not it's mental or physical, and things that I hope that you're able to hold dear. The first is, I want to affirm to you, if nobody else has, that you're doing enough. That all of the methods and all the strategies and all the pills and all the exercise and all the things that you're doing, even when you don't have energy or that you're attempting to do, you can only do 5% because of the way that your illness is impacting you, it's enough. And I hope that you're proud of you because that shows your effort. You, when your body is not cooperating with you, what more can you do? When you don't have the energy to get up to make a nice meal, no matter how much you mentally know you want to, but you can't do it, how is that your fault? When you've been battling with long-term anxiety and you have a little note card that has the skill that your therapist told you to do and you could do it for about three minutes and then that's as long as you could hold it before the thoughts came back, that's three minutes is huge and I'm so proud of you. You're doing as much as you can and that is enough. Between our inner demons and inner critical voices from unhealthy parents, if you listen to this podcast, it's most likely part of your story or authority figures and real life people in our life who don't get it because it's not their experience. And like a lot of people who don't get what you've gone through, they come from a quote unquote good place, but they could be lacking sensitivity for it. We want to eliminate as many of those voices as possible. And we want to stick with the voices that build us up that empower us and affirm us and love us. And voices like that say things like, you're doing enough, good for you. Look how great that is. Look how amazing you are. Wow, those are the words that we need to hear and receive and learn how to give to ourselves. The second thing I wanna say for those who are battling a chronic illness is to beware of those helpers that I just mentioned who will judge you for your sickness and for where you are. Again, many times they're coming from a good place, but they don't understand. They may want you to be healthy as much as you do even. And so they are right there reading the books, going to appointments with you, Googling, you know, all this stuff. And their desire so much is so strong that it can trump their ability to hold space and listen. And sometimes it's because of a fear. They're a fear that if they give into this, that they can't tell whether or not they're coddling you and enabling you or actually helping you. So because they can't tell and because they feel like this is a life or death issue or because they really love you so much and they want you to get better, they will go towards a strong arm approach. 
And as much as you can mentally understand that and want to hold space for that, I'm giving you permission to sometimes not answer their phone call, to sometimes tell them to stop, to sometimes you have the right to tell them that you got it, even when you know they're coming from love. Because mentally, you're art, physically, you're already dealing with whatever it is that's going on with you, including the physical impacts of mental illness. You don't need the mental stress of trying to filter, is this coming from a good place or not? And am I doing the right thing or not? And should I be stronger? And should I do this? And should I do that? You need a break. And so you get to decide what the boundaries look like for you with that person, whether or not it's all the way, or they only get to know little bits of what's going on with you, but not everything, or, you know, you only tell them some updates, but not other updates, or you have a come to Jesus meeting with them and you lay it out on the line. You get to decide, but I just want you to know that you have the right to make that decision for yourself and to choose you. The third thing is um, related to that on the opposite is to surround yourself with people who let you do what you feel like you need or feel that you can do without judgment, with love, with grace, with kindness and support. I've had friends who have equally, equally, and with their own wisdom and intuition, I'm just surrounded by the best people. They would sometimes know when to... Say, Sheena, it's okay. You can rest. You don't have to send out those emails this week. You don't have to do that program. You're a good mom. You are whatever it was that I was dealing with that week, whatever mental stress and emotional stress and physical stress, there was so good at giving me the the grace and the verbal affirmation that I needed that I didn't know how to give to myself that I was enough, that I was doing enough, that I was sick, like to remind myself that I was sick, that this wasn't something for me to push through, that this wasn't something just to, you know, pull up by my bootstraps, that this was something to respect and to honor and that it was okay, that it wasn't a sign of weakness. And at the same time, they would be, again, with their own wisdom and intuition, they would somehow know when to let me do things while watching, watching and knowing she ain't going to do that. <laughs> but she, she needs to figure it out herself. The mastermind that was supposed to launch at the end of last year for healing professionals. My accountant, who has been with me for so long, I was telling her about how I was scaling back, but I've had professionals reach out to me for support for so long. And like, this would be easy and, you know, I'll show up and I'll teach live instead of having to write the lessons beforehand. And it'll be great for like Q&A and everything. And she was like, okay, that sounds great. And she did the whole thing with me, you know, what was my plans and all of that. Meanwhile, I can't remember if that was even a meeting that I was on camera. I might even been laying down at that point. I don't know. But, but I was like, yeah, if I'm going to scale back, like after this, like, I'm not going to be creating anything else. You know, this is it. And it's going to be created on its own. So, you know, we did the whole plan and everything. And then, like I said at the beginning, when it came down for me to start, not even just, not even, te- even teaching it, but just talking about it, I, I couldn't even sit up to be in front of the camera to go on live, y'all, to talk about it or to have my headache stop hurting enough to write 
an email to to a copy editor to write out captions for me. Like it just, it wasn't working. So I didn't launch it. The sales page was up, but I ended up giving a refund to the people who did enroll and say, you know, you can use it towards a private consultation because I still do one-on-one calls that's on the website. So you can use it towards that. Or if I decide to launch it later on, you can use it towards that at the price that it is now instead of whatever it might be later on in case I increased it. But I canceled it. So I told my accountant, who again is one of my dear friends, and she was like, yeah, I knew you weren't going to do that. And I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, yeah, I just felt it in my spirit. Oh, she's also, maybe that's what it is. All my friends are very spiritually inclined. We're all really connected. So she's like, yeah, no, I just felt it. I felt that that wasn't something for you, that you needed to rest. But, you know, I'm happy that you're able to get to that. But I needed her to do that, y'all. I needed her to let me learn that lesson to be a soft space with no judgment either way. I needed her to be that support system for me, that forever cheerleader in me. And being such a great place where I came back and I was fully expecting for her to be disappointed in me. And here I go with one more thing that I'm going to start and then I don't do it for her to be like, good. I'm so I'm happy for you, for her to be more invested and what's going to make me feel good versus what's supposedly right and wrong. And I love that. I love that for me. I love that for her. I love that that that's the community that I've built. And so I really hope that you are surrounding yourself with people who have that same type of energy towards you. And a lot of times I hear when it comes to friendships that people will judge. They really want someone who's in, in real life in person. You want to have someone that you can go to brunch with on Sundays and invite over to the house. If y'all have kids, have your kids play together. And while that's beautiful and amazing, the majority of my deep soul friendship relationships are women who are not in the same city as me. And even the ones that are, I rarely see. And so I have learned how to take sisterhood, deep sisterhood in the form that it comes in. And to receive all aspects of it, all the love, all the laughter, all the joking, all the protection, all of the memory building together in that form. So for you, what I hear often is you have these people, but they're not in the same city and you feel you feel like it doesn't count. It does count. It absolutely absolutely counts. You will miss the moments that y'all could be building together by you trying to judge it and you're trying to look for something that's better instead of blooming where you're planted, cultivating and and harvesting what you have in front of you. The next thing that I want to say for those who have been struggling with chronic illness and in whatever form, and this this one may for sure be very particular to me or to people like me, but you may not exit this plight with a perfect score or an IG-worthy ending. Or you may, but it may not look the way that you thought it was going to look, and that was okay. You're not going to exit perfectly. When I say that, what I mean is, you know, I've been struggling with this for years, and I've been doing kind of a few soft launches and hard launches, right, as I have changed my lifestyle and done all these different changes over the years, fully expecting that within a few months I was going to be able to come back and give y'all a 10-step system, a 5- to 10-step step system of how I changed my life. 
and how I made it so easy peasy and how I made it practical. And that's that's not been my experience. This experience has been emotional. It's been humbling. It's been grounding. It's been vulnerable. And, you know, I probably have about three episodes in my <laughs> in my drafts from me trying to talk about these issues and three or four, at least half of them, I didn't get to finish because <laughs> I got sick while I was recording them. <laughs> and the ones that I did, it felt very preachy. It felt like I was talking down. It felt like I was doing that scared straight stuff that I'm that I'm describing can be so dismissive. It's so hurtful to try to, you know, motivate people by beating them up into making change. And that doesn't work. That does not work. And if it works for some of y'all, I'm this ain't the place for it because I I'm not the teacher, I'm not the coach to talk to you crazy to change to change your life. I'm the one that's going to tell you that I believe in you, that I trust you, that I that I know that you have all the answers you need inside of you. And I am going to always equip you and tell you what's the right way to go, but I'm never as as much as I can, you know, I'm sure I don't always get it right, but I'm not going to break you down to build you back up or make you feel like shit or an idiot. And if I do, I'm going to try to apologize for it because I want you to leave me better than you found your, I'm better than you found me. What's the phrase go? I want you, I want to leave you better than I found you. (laughs) That's the phrase Um, for you to go and do this hard work of recovery. If recovery is even possible, you know, again, my story is I'm still on the road, but it is very, what I'm banking on, especially based on the early results of, you know, the, the stuff going on with my kidneys is that what I am dealing with is reversible. And now that my blood pressure is finally managed, Thank God I can be on the on the road to recovery. So I'm holding out hope for that. And I know I know for many people that might not be your story, or if it is your story, you're kinda like me where you don't know what the timeline is. So I just want you to stay encouraged throughout that time. This next one, number five, is a throwback to number two. So it's basically the same thing, but I want you to forgive yourself and that you're doing your best. Um, I would, along the way, I would try to beat myself up to will myself into, you know, doing some drastic change that would finally make everything better. And not only did that distress out my system more, which made my blood pressure worse and made my mental health worse and made me feel like a bad coach or a bad mom or like all the ways that I felt like I was disappointing other people, which I was not. You know, one of those things where, you know, you think you are so convinced of looking at yourself in a negative way. So while everybody else is speaking love and light, you just can't receive it. That's another reason why it's so important to learn how to talk to yourself in love, because you could literally be drowning in love and love is coming at you from every corner. And you're so committed to seeing the lack and you're so committed to seeing what's not enough or where you're failing people that you completely miss out. And it's not because it doesn't exist. It's because you don't know how to receive it. You're not practicing receiving it. 
But yeah, I would beat myself up on ways that I felt like I've supposedly failed in some way or that I wasn't doing enough or what if I caught this sooner or what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And all those what ifs don't really amount to anything. You can't change the past. And also, honestly, again, depending on the story that you tell yourself, most likely the story that you have about the past is skewed. If you see yourself as a failure, if you see yourself as a disappointment, if you see yourself as not enough, most likely you're going to skew the story to where you always end up being the loser of how you could have just done just a little bit more versus if you change the story, if you change the story, if you change the script to see how you've always done your best, to see how you've always tried it becomes easier for you to start to give yourself the credit that you deserve, to give yourself the forgiveness you deserve, to give yourself the grace that you deserve. And then the last thing that I want to validate um, for those who have been struggling with chronic illness is the grief that comes with this. The the loss, what feels like, I'm going to say both. Sometimes it feels like a lost opportunity and sometimes it actually is a lost, lost opportunity. I don't want to gaslight anybody here. Um, where you were not able to do something or participate in something or claim something because your illness has gotten in the way. And there's some sadness with that. And, um, you know, I feel like as I'm starting to feel better, be able to sit up, be able to enjoy a day, be able to not have to take you know, 10 pills that are more reactive versus proactive and maintenance. And I'm starting to want to do things again. I'm remembering all the things that I wanted to do before and all the things that I tried to do before. And it's also very easy, just being very real, to compare myself to people who are in my space who have been able to continue, you know, full steam ahead the last two or three years and just wondering where would I be if I was where they were And there can be some sadness that comes with that. And luckily, the things that I've talked to y'all about that I've been working on spiritually and emotionally and mentally the last two years plus, I have truly been working on it and truly been learning how to internalize it and really working on the abundance mentality of not living in a place of lack, of working on my self-worth and believing that there's always enough and that things always work out for me. So even though I do have those moments, I'm able to truly believe that this is where I'm supposed to be. And those same what ifs that go to what if I could have been doing this and what if I could have been doing that? And so, you know, what if the the second part of those what ifs is that my future is going to be bad because of the missed opportunities, right? Instead of my brain going to those what ifs, my what ifs, I allow my brain, I allow my heart to go to the possibility of maybe I'm about to step into my most abundant season. Maybe this is where things get really beautiful and things get really amazing for me. And maybe this is the space of rest that I've always deserved and yearned for and wanted. And this is the ease and flow that I've wanted. And I don't have to go back and create a million different things to fill the space, but actually be here in this moment and allow my body time to recover and allow my body to 
allow myself to learn what my body needs and who I am now versus what used to work for me before. That is okay for things to change. The sometimes restoration does not look like going back to how things were before, but it looks like creating something new. And I get to do that for myself. So that's where I am right now. Thank you to everyone for listening. <laughs> Again, I know the majority was an update on where I am. I wasn't expecting it to be that long, but it's fine because I, I know, unfortunately, I know that it's a story, a common story for many of us. And I hope that if you made it to this point, that you got what you needed. And if this wasn't for you, I hope that you send it to someone who has been struggling with their health in some way. Maybe they've said something related to what I've talked about that you haven't been able to affirm for them, but maybe this will. And if there's just one piece of this episode that does that for you, I hope it multiplies. And I hope that it helps you get better faster from the inside out. So that's it for now. I'm sending all of you so much love. And until next time, take care of yourselves. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.